millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport a retrospective series on the most compelling, the most controversial and the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Last time out, we look back at the first rider to win all of cycling's grand tours, France's Jacques Anquetil, and the 1963 Vuelta victory from the man considered the best time trialist of his generation. This time, we're rolling with Belgium's Gustave Delors, the first winner of the Vuelta Espana, whose career was cut short by the Second World War, and who, in his career after cycling, played an integral part in putting man on the moon. The Tour de France has Maurice Garin, the Giro d'Italia has Luigi Gamma, but ask most people who won the first edition of the Vuelta, and you probably won't get a reply. But these are the words of the man who made history. I won the first Vuelta. My name will remain united forever to the creation of a great international event, to a resounding fact in the history of cycling. So said Gustave Delors in an interview with AS Sports newspaper in Spain when returning to defend his Vuelta crown in 1936. Delors had become the first winner of the Vuelta in 1935, aged just 22 years old. A year later, he doubled up, finishing ahead of his elder brother Alphonse. They remain to this day the only brothers to stand on the top two steps of the podium in a grand tour. And yet, despite his assertion that he will forever be remembered, Delors received, and still receives, scant recognition for winning back-to-back grand tours. In his native Belgium, Delors is one of the few champion cyclists on whom no book has been written. In fact, it was only last year that a first biography was published, in Spain, about the man who beat the locals to win the first two editions of their national tour. Entitled Gustave Delors, From the Vuelta to the Moon, Juan-Fran de la Cruz's book tells the little-known story of the Belgian trailblazer, a man whose career was cut short by the Second World War, who fought for his country, who was captured by the Nazis and survived life in a concentration camp before, penniless, he emigrated to the United States. It was in the US that he would ultimately work as a mechanic in the manufacture of the engines that took Apollo 11 to the moon. So, who were brothers Gustave and Alphonse Delors? The short answer is that they were journeyman cyclists who hit the big time. 
The youngest two of five brothers, Gustave and Alphonse grew up in De Klinge, a bleak suburb of Antwerp where, somewhat serendipitously, they lived in the Spanish Quarter. Alphonse was born in 1910, Gustave three years later. The third Delors brother, Edward, was a keen cyclist and taught them how to ride. Sons of a farmhand father who also worked in a coal mine in Hanout, Alphonse and Gustave took up cycling to escape the clutches of poverty. Tough, wiry Flandrians with the ability to suffer, they succeeded where many failed and started to carve out humble careers as cyclists. Alphonse came second in the Tour of Flanders in 1932, runner-up in the 1933 Tour of Belgium, then finished 27th in the Tour de France. For his part, Gustave showed promise by winning the Ronde van Vlaanderen Espoirs in 1932 and finishing 15th in Paris-Roubaix a year later. An opportunity arose in 1934 for the brothers to travel to Spain to take part in the Volta Catalunya, where they found that the competition was not as fierce as it was in Northern Europe. Alphonse won a stage and finished second overall, with Gustave coming 10th. Success in Spain gave them a taste for more, and so, the following year, they put themselves forward to be part of the Belgium team that travelled to the first edition of the Vuelta España. Speaking to Coup de Pedal magazine in 1994, Gustave said, We took a train for two days and a night and arrived in Madrid. We got a sponsorship agreement with the firm BH for bikes, jerseys and equipment. That was all we needed. There was no question of money. We bought the essential foods and cereals from Belgium. We sorted our own meals out, often largely consisting of omelettes. Running over just two weeks and 3,425 kilometres, the inaugural edition of the Vuelta was contested by a field of 50 riders, 33 of whom were Spanish. Atrocious weather conditions that May played into the hands of the six-man Belgian team, led by Antoine Dinieff, a Volta Catalunya veteran who had finished second in Paris-Nice behind René Vieto two months earlier. The big favourite was local rider Mariano Cañado, the then four-time Catalunya champion, and although the home riders had their strengths and weaknesses, they never made the foreign riders feel unwelcome. As Delors recalled in 1994, The Spanish riders lacked experience, but they were excellent climbers. In the mountains, I was forced to give up chasing them for fear of asphyxiation, but I was guaranteed to pick them up at the bottom of the climb because they were terrible descenders. They were nice guys who never ganged up against us. According to Dela Cruz, Delors biographer, the main problem for the locals was not so much their descending, but their discipline in the face of the Belgians' professionalism. When the race arrived in the cities, the Spanish often got distracted by the theatres, cinemas and parties. They drank too much wine and visited the famous monuments. Indeed, the local riders dealt with what quickly became the hardest race they had ever ridden by filling their bidons with a cocktail invented by the famous Spanish bartender Perico Chicote. The ingredients of this magic potion were extensive and powerful. Orange bitters, Grand Marnier, Cordon Rojo, Curacao Naranja, English gin and half a glass of Italian vermouth. Powered by goat's milk alone, the Belgians were perhaps better equipped to deal with the lamentable roads that reminded them of home. Dinyev won the opening stage to take the leader's orange jersey before stuttering in stage two as Spaniard Antonio Escurier took over the lead. Then Gustav took the race by the scruff of the neck. As early as the third stage, I attacked on my own, which led to a stage win and the orange jersey, which I retained until the end, he said. My move was facilitated by the broken fork of Cañado, my closest adversary. On the penultimate day, Cañado crashed and lost five minutes, practically guaranteeing Delors overall victory. 
After winning the final stage, he was 13 minutes and 28 seconds clear of the Spaniard in the overall standings, with Dinev third at 20 minutes and 10 seconds, and Alphonse sixth. Gustav won the equivalent of £2,500 for his victory, which he shared out equally among his teammates. As for the Spanish fans, Dela Cruz claims they were not too put out by a foreigner winning their race. Gustav was not seen as an unpopular winner. People were very curious to see this Belgian rider do well in Spain. It was something of a novelty. The fans were more curious than they were angry. There had been some tensions, however, earlier in the race when Stage 12 winner Francois Adam had committed a faux pas by trying to kiss one of the podium girls in Caraceres. Spain was very old-fashioned at the time, and there was outrage because the girl was unmarried. It was said that Adam was lucky to avoid being tied to a donkey and hauled out of town. But if conditions were bad in 1935, they were even worse for the Vuelta's second edition. At 4,354 kilometres in length, and this time held over three weeks, the 1936 Vuelta remains the longest edition in history and took place against a backdrop of political tension and simmering civil unrest. Horrific conditions through torrential rain and over muddy, rutted roads more typical of Paris-Roubaix meant only 24 of the 50 starters completed the race, which Gustav led from stage 2 through to the finish after an early crash ruled Cañado out of the running. Besides what he described as the poor excuse for roads, roads only in name, Delors, who won three stages on the road to Madrid, recalled one aspect of the race above all others. I remember the police having to kill stray dogs and goats that had wandered onto the road so that they wouldn't bring down any riders, he said. Dogs and goats aside, things were far from plain sailing for the defending champion. On stage 11 from Barcelona to Zaragoza, he crashed badly and hurt his shoulder. He couldn't put any pressure on his handlebars and, with no race doctor, there were no painkillers available. During these dog days for the race leader, Alphonse came into his own as a domestique, helping his ailing brother with repairs when he got a puncture. They had to chase back frantically for 50 kilometres before rejoining the leaders and preserving Gustave's orange jersey. On the penultimate day, Alphonse was rewarded for his selfless work by rising to second place on the standings after Escurier was laid low by exhaustion. After securing back-to-back -back wins, Gustave discovered he had won in spite of some broken bones. Finally, amid much suffering, I battled on to Madrid as the winner, he said. When we returned to Belgium, a specialist told me that I had fractured three vertebrae. I was told to stay in bed for two months without moving. This time, when the winning Belgian team returned home to Anvers, fans were waiting at the station for a victory bus ride back to the Delors Cycling Club at Stuyvenberg. Fame at last. But because their biggest results came outside of Belgium, the Delors brothers perhaps never received the recognition they deserved. They were celebrated in their hometown, but the Vuelta did not have the same worldwide reach as it does nowadays, says Vuelta race director Javier Guilen. Gustav could not benefit from the same platform as riders have today, and he was rarely living in Belgium because of his races abroad. This is echoed by Dries de Zeitide, the curator of the Delors exhibition in the Coeurs Museum in Roselaire in 2010, which celebrated the 75th anniversary of Gustav's first Vuelta win. The Delors brothers were not typical Flandrians, he says. Gustave loved nice clothing and was more a peddler de charme than a real Flandrian, who, according to the legend, have no style and just ride hard. Back in those days, a cycling adventure in Spain was not so exciting for many Flemish cycling journalists who preferred, like today, races in Flanders or France.
Despite his injuries in winning his second Vuelta crown, Gustave went close to winning the Tour de Suisse later that summer, denied by an untimely mechanical as Max Boulard took the spoils. Then, in the 1936 World Championships in Bern, he rode off the front with the Frenchman Antonin Magnier, with the Italian favourites well distanced. Delors attacked on the final lap, but got a puncture a few kilometres from the line, ending his chances of the win and a podium finish. According to Het Newsblad journalist Paul de Kayser, this was a turning point in Delors' career, and perhaps one of the main reasons behind his relative obscurity in cycling folklore. If you look at his Palmares, there are just these three victories in the Vuelta and a stage in the Tour, says de Kayser. It would have been different if he had won the world title in 1936. A rainbow jersey would have given more weight to his Vuelta wins. Delors' Tour de France stage win came in 1937 at Aix-les-Bains in a race where the Belgian team controversially walked out while their leader, Sylvain Mars, was in yellow. Although Delors rode as an individual, he was integral to the narrative. When Mars was attacked by rival Roger Lepebi when he had a mechanical in stage 16, Delors helped pace back his countrymen, a move that contravened the rules. The resulting time penalty was the straw that broke the camel's back, and Mars quit the race with his Belgian colleagues, leaving Delors to finish his only tour in 16th place. For his part, Gustave's brother Alphonse would win Liège-Bastogne-Liège in 1938, ahead of Marcel, the Black Eagle, Kint. But it was far from the esteemed monument that it is today. Then came the small matter of the wars that tore through Europe in the late 1930s, depriving the Delors of their playground of choice when it came to bike races. The Vuelta was not contested from 1937 through to 1940. Their careers and dreams were further shattered in 1940 by the outbreak of the Second World War, says Eric de Kayser, the journalist who last interviewed the brothers in 1994. The outbreak of the Spanish Civil War meant there would be no hat-trick of Vuelta wins for Gustav. By the time the Vuelta resumed in 1941, the defending champion had only just been released from a concentration camp in Germany. Gustav had joined the Belgian army and was defending the Ibana Mail fortress when it was stormed by German paratroopers in 1939. He spent a year as a prisoner of war in Stalag 11b, one of the most bloodthirsty prisoner of war concentration camps in Nazi Germany, according to Della Cruz, where his minor renown earned him favourable treatment and a relatively cushy job in the kitchens. The 1941 and 1942 editions of the Vuelta were open only to Spaniards and were followed by another two-year hiatus because of the Second World War. There were a series of stuttering problems for the Vuelta after the war and, by the time the race properly got going again in 1955, Delors, now in his 40s, was living on the other side of the Atlantic. Following his release from Germany, Gustav returned to Belgium to find his belongings and bikes had been stolen, most of his money too. He refused to work in Flemish industry because he was appalled by the manufacturer's collaboration with the Nazis. So he moved to France to open a tyre business. It did not work out. Instead, in 1949, he decided he needed wholesale change. With his wife Marguerite, a woman 25 years his senior, whom he met through his trainer Alphonse Versnick, he moved to New York, where he struggled to find work as a non-English-speaking mechanic. It was the hardest time of my life, he said. I worked in all the workshops in the city, but for no more than a fortnight each. So, the couple bought a cheap car and drove along Route 66 all the way to California, where they were told integration would be easier. Gustave found work and, in 1956, an affluent client helped him find a job at Cape Canaveral Aerospace Centre, 
Here, he worked for the Marquardt Corporation, an aeronautical engineering firm, in the development and design of the ramjet engine for NASA. After Marguerite passed away, Delors, with startling symmetry, started dating a Belgian girl, Rosa, 25 years his junior. They had met at the Rick Van Looy Club, a centre for Flemish people in Los Angeles named after the famous Belgian rider nicknamed the King of the Classics. Amazingly, Rosa's family was also from de Klinge, and although she had no idea who her admirer was, her father was a big fan. Asking him for permission for his daughter's hand in marriage could not have been easier. Once remarried, Gustav, who was now in his early 50s, became a father for the first time to a daughter, Jeanette. Gustav also remained in regular contact with his brother, who had become a crane driver specialising in the construction of dikes designed to prevent flooding. In the summer of 1969, Gustav took his new family home to visit his native Belgium for the first time since his emigration. On the 20th of July, the day Eddie Merckx won his first Tour de France, the brothers, along with the rest of the world, watched Apollo 11 land on the moon, powered by the propulsion engines Gustav had helped build. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Being an anonymous cog in the team that enabled Neil Armstrong to make one giant leap for mankind meant Delors reached a far bigger audience than he did by winning the first two editions of a bike race in Spain. It was a special moment in his life because the results of all his hard work could be seen on television by the entire world, says Dela Cruz. After more than 20 years in the company, Delors would retire to return to Belgium with his family, where he remained until his death in 2002. To this day, the Vuelta remains the only Grand Tour to have had brothers occupy the top two spots of the podium. Andy and Frank Schleck came close in the 2011 Tour de France, but were denied the Holy Grail by Australia's Cadell Evans. The Vuelta's fine tradition of brothers would continue after the Civil War had thwarted the Delors domination. Delio Pastor and Emilio Rodriguez became the only fraternal trio to feature in the same Grand Tour in 1946, the year after Delio, the Vuelta's all-time stage record holder with 39, won the race. Five years later, Emilio won the 1950 edition ahead of a fourth brother, Manolo. In 2010, a new square named after the Delors brothers was unveiled in De Klinge, featuring a sculpture of two bikes, entitled Vuelta. A small chapel nearby houses a painting by Gustave, who was also a keen artist. But that was where recognition of the two brothers' achievements ended, until Juan Fran de la Cruz's book came along. It was the poverty of appreciation directed towards the Vuelta's first-ever winner that motivated publisher Enrico Garate to get behind de la Cruz's project. On reading the manuscript, I realised the lack of recognition of Gustave Delors and his career and how important he was for the history of cycling in Spain. I wondered how his name could be such a distant one, even for hardcore cycling fans like me. And I thought the book could also be a small contribution to help spread the story of the Vuelta's first years. Whether anyone can emulate the Delors remains to be seen. In the 2019 Vuelta, Jon and Gorka Itzagiri featured for Astana, while Jesus and Jose Harada rode aggressively for Cofidis, with the former even winning a stage. But to come first and second in the GC is an entirely different matter. 
Perhaps the only brothers capable of such an exploit in today's peloton would be twins Adam and Simon Yates, the latter famously having won the Vuelta in 2018. I think that it's almost impossible in modern cycling, says Garata. Guilen, the Vuelta race director, agrees. It would be nice to see brothers finishing first and second again, like the Delors, he says. It would be even more touching for the fans if one day it happens with twins like the Yates's. But it's very difficult nowadays. The competition is such a high level and very international. It makes it more and more unlikely for any brothers to enjoy the same kind of success as the Delors did in 1936. Guilen shares the belief of Dela Cruz and Garate that Gustave Delors was a true trailblazer for both cycling and the Vuelta. He's the pioneer, says Guilen, the first winner of La Vuelta and the first of only five riders to win the overall classification back-to-back. -back. This has been another episode of Recycle by Eurosport, written by Felix Lowe, narrated by me, Graham Wilgos, and produced by Pete Burton. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze and you can find me at Graham Wilgos. Plus, you can follow Eurosport at Eurosport underscore UK or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Join us for our next episode when we'll be looking back to the 1982 World Championships at Goodwood when Greg LeMond controversially chased down his American teammate Jock Boyer to hand the world title to Italy's Beppe Cerrone. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.